Well, hi there. How's it going? Whoa. Come, come, in out, come in out of the cold or the warmth or maybe you're already inside. Uh, but either way, welcome to Crying in the Book Club, the hit new podcast where three emotional friends talk about comic books that make them emotional. I am the host of today's episode, Alex, and uh, we have a very special one. But before before we dive into what we're talking about, I'm joined as always by the wonderful Emily. Emily, how's it going? Whoa, I wasn't expecting you to introduce me. I definitely thought you were going to say John Luke. Who? Unexpected things today. Dun, dun, dun. That's, don't, don't worry, folks. John Luke is back for a record-setting 26th episode. John Luke, how's it going? Have you been in all 26 episodes? John? Oh, I forgot John couldn't be here today. He's just, he's just, he's just sitting there. This, this wasn't planned. Uh, I think he, okay, let's describe his room. He's got like a cool Lego thing at the left side, it looks like. It kind of looks a little alien. He's got a few tendrils no, I am, coming I am, out. I am here. Sorry, I'm done. With, I was kind of <gasps> it's Dr. Octopus. On an, on an audio Dr. Octopus. Is, oh, you're talking about, it is he, Dr. Octopus. John looks like a Dr. Octopus like hanging in the air <gasps> on top of his camera. <gasps> Yeah, so I have, I actually have the, the Daily Bugle is like right here. Oh, out of frame. that's a cool set. You can't, uh, you can't pick it up and show us, huh? Uh, well, there's, I can. You'll just have I to, move. you guys will have to edit this out because this doesn't really work in an audio medium. But yeah, live, it does, it does, I it's really cool. See. Whoa! Oh my god! Okay, gosh. that's way yeah. bigger than I thought it was gonna be. Whoa! Ah, that's so cute. You can't really. Yeah, there you go. Now you can see the whole thing. It's the great. Sh- not quite. It. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! It's like half as tall as you are. <laughs> it's as like yeah, a, as a like noted Marvel hater. Uh, that is one set that I would. And you know, like I'm a Marvel hater, and I own one Lego set, but I want that one. So. It's nice. The, the it's one Lego set you own is also on the shelf right back behind me. So just, like, that. just out of frame. Jean-Luc has like 35 Lego sets in the background. He's like, oh, it's right there. I, I swear your Winnie the Pooh set's right there. We gotta do, uh, when we start up the Patreon, we can uh, you have, too can... We can have bonus content where John gives a, oh. a guided tour of his oh, it's uh, so Lego good. set. Oh, you put them all there? That's cute. Yeah. That's cute. John Luke has all of his uh, all of his hundred acre woods friends on one one block there, one sort of area, the entrance, um, which is very nice. It's very and nice. I, and I anticipate that John will quickly be picking up the Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey official Lego set. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as, as soon as it releases. Honestly, a thing uh, that I do kind of wish existed. <laughs> that'd be so cursed. I I'm sure someone will do. Um, they they do custom Lego pieces. You see at cons sometimes. I'm sure some sicko will do it. It oh, won't yeah. sell well. No, but. You know, I, there's definitely a market out there for people who would buy like um, fucked up, like bloodied Winnie the Pooh from that movie. Oh, yeah. 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 Like the only time I, I'm going to be honest, I mean, I, I say there's a market out there for it. Uh, source me. The only time I've ever been tempted to buy custom Lego minifigures is I was in a comic book store in Denver like a year ago and they had a display case that was all like horror movie characters. So like uh, Freddy from uh, Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Jason from Friday the Thirteenth, Michael Myers, 
the Cenobite from Hellraiser, like they had like a really wide range. And I almost was like, there was a moment where I was like considering dropping a ton of money until I realized they weren't actually customs. Like they, they weren't actually Lego pieces. Like they weren't actually Lego pieces. They were like like, custom printed. printed. Yeah. Yeah. So they weren't actually like the quality of, because the stuff that I like is like official Lego pieces that people do like decals on and like customize themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a lot of like really cool, like there's a lot of really cool Star Wars shit specifically that does that, but I don't want to have yeah. stuff that's like lower quality because like Lego is kind of the the gold standard. I don't want to have stuff that's like a little bit lower quality, even if it looks cool. Just on display. It makes sense. And I just want to take this opportunity to speak of something about of lower quality and introduce our show this week. It is Run Maze. It is episode two of Run Maze. The 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 second week we are experiencing. Jesus Christ, that was brutal. Um, And uh, that was so good, Alex. I really like. I know I want to keep going with your segue, but I we need to acknowledge that that was incredible. Thank you. All the best segues are stopped halfway through by (laughs) by people (laughs) saying "great job." So keep that keep that going. Um, But yeah, last time we talked about Brian Kavon and Adrian Alfano's Runaways run, the run that started it all, the run. That away. defines runaways, you could say. Yes, the the run away, <laughs> if you will. Um, now we're talking about Joss Whedon. Yeah, that Joss Whedon. Uh, the year was two thousand and seven, and he was he was in the in, in the midst of his power. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm about to give a a little bit of a background, then I'm going to give a summary, and then we're going to talk about it because there is a lot in the six issues that is worth talking about. I don't know, but like I just think that. Joss Whedon should be punished for his many crimes, and this is definitely among them. Okay, that that's our spoiler warning. Now we should we should have said spoiler warning first, then the Joss Whedon crimes thing. Um, but a little background. Um, actually, does someone else want to do the background because this plot summary is pretty long, and I don't want to be talking the whole time. Yeah, I can I'll, I can take over. Um, so yeah, this is follows directly at the end of Brian K. Vaughn's run on Runaways, not what we read for the last episode. There's another 25 issues that were written by BKV, which at some point in the future, we'll probably talk about for run a maze too, when that happens. But after Brian K. Vaughn leaves the book, uh, Joss Whedon uh, picks up sort of where he left off. Uh, he was a, a fan of the runaways comics way back, like when they started and we mentioned it last episode. Yeah, we briefly talked touched on it last episode, and BKV sort of picked him to close out this run on the series. So he picks it up at, at issue 25 in 2007 and writes the issues 25 through 30, which runs, I think, into the early 2008, if I'm correct. There's this uh, quote that Alex put in here from Joss Whedon, which goes, oh, no. the, the concept is, the first thing Brian said to me was, they really haven't done a lot of running. Which is, you know, the, I guess what this is supposed sure. to be about is it's not wrong, I guess. I so guess. you know, it it's a it's an interesting thing. Um, and then Whedon goes on to say, "I pitched him. Well, as you can tell from the cover, they're headed to New York, where they encounter some Marvel stalwarts, and that's fun to do with them because because unlike other characters, they have a very different perspective on anything. Uh, they think Peter Parker is an old guy." Which was true at this point, like in continuity at this point was actually the case. We haven't done one more day yet. 
uh, <laughs> so they're fun. I think, in fact, they think the power pack is a bunch of fogies. That actually is true. The power pack is old as fuck. I have them running a little further than usual, basically, so I can get any potential civil or Hulk or wars of any kind behind me, which uh, is kind of wild because this book is really about the consequences of civil war. Like the setup for this book comes out of the civil war mm-hmm. uh, story. It that, That's a crazy thing to say to me, but just some so, to cover briefly, some things that have happened since we, we last touched at base uh, Alex Wilder, he dies at the end of the issues that we read at this point. Gert is also dead, has been dead for a little while now. I forgot that this was after she died. And I was so sad. <laughs> Yeah, um, and Chase is fucked up about that because Chase and Gert were dating uh, when Gert dies. Carolina left and came back, uh, but she came back with her space girlfriend, Zavin, in tow. Space fiance. Space fiance. Well, yeah, space fiance. I mean, they did- actually, they're, they're married at this point, actually, well, right? They. I don't remember. Because I was going to I was gonna read the issues between this, but uh, instead I played... Um, like 40 hours of old man yearning simulator. Uh, so instead, that's uh, disco Elysium for that is listeners. Disco, disco Elysium. Yes. <laughs> but so, so I think they might actually be married at this point because I think, or no. So they are fiancés. If I remember correctly, they, they like, go to gonna, a wedding to and then they call it off. Yeah. They call it off. They, they call off the wedding because they're like, Oh, we're not really ready for this, mm-hmm. which boy, is that facts? Uh, <laughs> They've also been joined by uh, Victor Mancha. He is a character who joins the Runaways in at the beginning of the second set of Vaughn issues. He is sort of the son, I guess, of Doctor Doom. Insofar as Doctor Doom can have a son, he's a cyborg. He's His two dads cool. are Doctor Doom and Ultron. Yeah, yeah, he yeah he has two epic dads who are friends with everyone else in the Marvel universe. Uh, so so Zavin and uh, Victor have joined the original four uh, of who are left at this point: uh, Nico, Chase, Carolina, and of course everyone's favorite Molly, uh, yeah. who has some choice moments. God, uh, oh boy, do she ever issues. Well, thank you, but that's kind of the background uh, on on where we're at. That's where how, where, yeah. how we come to uh, what Alex will now describe. And the only runaways I've read is Vaughn's uh, original uh, eighteen or so issues or twenty issues, whatever it is, whatever we read for the podcast plus this. So that fill in the blanks. That's crazy. Like, oh, oh, Gert's dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, we'll it didn't have, occur to me. We'll have to go back and read all that. Yeah, it didn't occur to me until we had already decided that, like, oh, Alex actually hasn't read all of this before. Like, Emily and I have read all of it. We know what happened, but uh, it didn't occur to me that you would not know who Victor was, like, <laughs> or yeah, or Z- yeah. Z- Zavin for that matter. Don't worry, my my good friend, uh, Joss Whedon, filled us in, and uh, you know, here's the plot. This is only six issues. The book, the book does start off with like a little catch up on who everybody yeah. is. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and um, the state of things. So. And after we get our little catch up, the Runaways meet Crime Lord Wilson Fisk, the big bad guy in the Marvel universe. Uh, and the kids now say that they're in charge of the Pride, so the organization that that their big bad parents, uh, you know, were in started in. Uh, they ask Fisk for protection because they just want to sort of hang out in uh, in New York, and especially against the Superhero Registration Act. And Fisk says, "Deal." 
but you got to steal something from me. Uh, so they got to go steal a mysterious object from a heavily guarded king uh, building. Uh, Nico and Carolina hint at a relationship, but Carolina rebuffs her in favor of Zavin. Uh, the, the new pride or the runaways in this book break into the building and steal something, but run into the Punisher and a mysterious brute with a giant anime sword. Think, uh, think cloud sort of like, yeah, cloud sword. It's just like a big, He's got big a buster sword, a big, a big buster sword, um, which gives us a quote here. Um, by nico i just had to write it in the quote is i'm such a girl i don't know if i want to be in charge or alive i was literally yelling to gwen about this line <laughs> ah i hate this man yeah i hate yeah. him so much so so one more time the line is i'm such a girl i don't know if i want to be in charge or alive by nico uh and then so yeah we we're go gonna on. talk about this but uh if Joss Whedon has ever tried for his many crimes, the thing that they will execute him for is how he treats Nico in these five issues, these six issues. Oh my God. I have so many opinions, but we, we we, we have have to get through everything. I have questions, including, did you like it? So you guys can't be saying this stuff right now. Uh, But Molly punches the Punisher and it feels a little bad. I'm sorry. Like as much as I find this little arc frustrating like molly punching the punisher all-time favorite moment it's pretty cool it's pretty cool and the runaways escape (gasps) they discover that the artifact they stole was made by gert's folks and fisk attempts to double cross them and the relic gets activated sending the runaways back 100 years into the past uh which if you're listening to that you know brian k vaughn no the uh, joss whedon interview where he's like well i gotta get him out of here He, he took him to the past so they they go there they're in the past and they find that the relic was destroyed, but learn that there are similar relics stashed somewhere in LA, somewhere in the vast California area. So they're like, you know what? Let's go do it up. So the team saves some kids from a fire and they meet another kid with powers. And this, this kid's power is that he's super lucky. He's got, he's got a little staff that makes him lucky. And they're introduced to a hidden settlement of superpower beings nicknamed the Street Arabs. Um, one of the members of the Street Arabs is called the Notorious Yellow Kid. We'll talk more about that later. There is so much anti-Asian racism in this, like casual anti-Asian racism. Guys, in guys, you can't interrupt me now. I'm saying this. We'll get to the casual racism. Don't worry. We will. Don't worry. Don't, don't, don't you worry. It's, uh, but yeah, the kid with the, with the magic staff ends up selling them out to a mob boss named Maneater who says, we need them for the big turf war. See? And then you learn that Maneater's actually working for Gert's parents who are still alive because they're time travelers. Then Nico explores a bank, gets knocked out by a superpowered team led by the mysterious Adjudicator, which is a separate team. Uh, Chase is brought to the Maneater, and after knocking him out, he stumbles upon Gert's parents who recognize him. Chase tells them that he and Gert were in love, and also, Gert's dead. Her parents are not happy about that, and they say, we're going to kill all the superpowered beings in order to save Gert. Doesn't really make sense to me, but we're not making comments now, so that's fine. Uh, Zavin. And a powered person named Lily catch feelings for one another and kiss, gasp. A couple of the kids known as the street Arabs, I don't know why I said that again, are killed by the Maneater's crew, including a really cool shot where someone gets shot in the face. And then there's this little guy who's like one inch high and the bullet just explodes his brain because it's the side of his, of his head. It's done off screen, but a very interesting. Scene. Yeah, uh, intense. <laughs> very intense. Um, it's also, it's Victor, right? Not Zavin or... Is it Victor? Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I, I, I put the wrong name. Yes. It is Victor, which you might be thinking. Victor is engaged. What's going no, on? No, Zavin's no, Zavin. engaged. I was confused. This makes a lot more sense. Vicky, this makes a lot more sense. It doesn't 
help that like they keep going back and forth with Zavin like being a a guy or a girl in these issues. There's also some race switching, which we'll get to, but I'm still reading the summary, guys. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was couple... just explaining why you were confused. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. Don't worry, don't worry. A couple of the kids uh, are you know, no, no, no. during the chase. During the fight, Chase stumbles upon the time travel device. Ooh, a way to get back home. Uh, Nico stops the fighting with her staff and makes a point that there are no winners in war, which echoes the sentiments made by Wilson Fisk earlier on in the series. The fighting stops and the runaways plus Lily knock out Gert's parents and Nico casts a spell on them that gives them the knowledge of everything but doesn't allow them to change anything. So if you go back to Brian K. Vaughn's run, everything that happens in their minds, they know what's about to happen. They know Gert's going to die. They know they're dead. And uh, I think Nico's words are they're going to be screaming inside the whole time. And it's like, sure, you're edgy. That's kind of cool. Um, Lily decides not to come with the runaways and is revealed to be the lady that the brute is working for in the future. Uh, instead of Lily, a street kid named Clara comes back to the future with the runaways and they go back home happily ever after. That's the runaways. That's six issues. Um, you'll notice that John Luke and Emily were interrupting a lot. Because this book is batshit. No, no, no. And there are so many things in it that are like, it's not even like Brian K. Vaughn in the early 2000s where it's like, okay, this was a different time. Like some of this stuff is just like. How did 2003 BKV age better than this? And I mean, like, I know the answer. You look at the the byline. You look who wrote it. Like, it's because this is Joss Whedon and he should be tried for his crimes against art and women yeah uh first of all what's your history with this specific run of runaways i know you guys have run away in the past i know jean-luc has read this at some point but like is this was this was this a long time was there a part of jean-luc in the past that was like this is sick this is a great run uh no i never really cared for this like i not for the reasons i don't care for it now but there was never a time where i was like yeah the peak of runaways was when they let joss whedon write it for six issues like even when I thought Joss Whedon was like an interesting director, despite only having seen like the Avengers and that Shakespeare thing that he did, and four episodes of Firefly that I lied about liking because you were supposed to like Firefly back then. You know, I I never really you know I, I did like Astonishing X Men though. That's the thing, but this was never like my favorite Runaways thing. I didn't. I thought this. I I always thought even when I read this back in high school, that this was kind of mid relative to the rest of runaways. I thought there was some cool stuff in there and I still think there's some cool stuff in here, but generally, no, this was never a standout part of the runaways for me. I definitely like remember reading this when I was a kid, it was kind of around when I fell off runaways the first time. Um, I did like finish reading this arc, but I think I just like for a long time didn't pick up any more of it. And um, it wasn't like, oh, this is a stinker, but it's definitely like I remembered it being not a high point and I remembered it not being written by Brian K. Vaughn. But like back when I read it, 
I don't think I like even noticed that it said it was written by Joss fucking Whedon because I was an idiot at 16 years old and I'm only marginally better now. But so when I didn't realize that this was the arc that we were going to be reading when when we set out to do this and then like things started happening and they go to the past and I was like, oh God, this is the one with Clara. And like every, like all of my memories came flooding back. It's not, I mean, it's definitely not a favorite. I will say, I don't, like, I didn't hate reading these six issues. Like, I thought it was, on the whole, as, like, a whole thing, I think it's, like, kind of just fine. It's mid for Runaways, but, like, it's fine. But I have some- Emily confirmed most racist host of the podcast. I have some very, I mean, I meant, like, the, the plotting. And I know, the, I know, I'm the messing story. with you. But there are a lot of issues that I have with it now that are way more significant than I would have noticed uh, in 2010 when I read this. Sure. So I guess I would have uh, been 17, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, and, and do you guys have, uh, were you guys were you guys big weed and heads back in the day? Because uh, for me, I, I saw the Avengers movie, which I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then I hated Ultron. And I was like, Joss Whedon, you're dead to me. And my mom liked the movie Cabin in the Woods. She was like, she saw my sister and they it were is, like, well, this movie, movie's so good. That is a good movie. hysterical to me that both of you seem to have like the Avengers as your Joss Whedon touch points because uh-huh. like, like I used to, like I watched Buffy on TV when I was a kid. Like I didn't watch it all yeah. like in sequence, but I would like wake up early in the morning before school to catch like whatever episodes of Buffy or Angel were playing on TV. I was a huge uh, Dr. Horrible sing-along blog fan. I had, like, I had it on DVD. I had merch that I made for myself <laughs> of this fucking stupid musical web series. Uh, I I liked Firefly back in the day. I used to have a, a like, what it, you know when people make, like, those fake prayer candles for, like, fandom figures, but it was the prostitute girl from Firefly. face is very confused right the now. What are you talking about? I, you, wait, no, you've, no, you've never seen, like, those, pr- like like prayer candles with like the like mary or jesus or whatever but people make like versions of them with like like, tv show characters you've never seen this like ever i i bought it at an anime convention it's like a a, okay i have one in my kitchen right now that's like a bob's burgers one that someone bought me for like a a christmas present huh there was there was a whole booth at van expo this year that was just like any fandom you can think of and it was like it's a candle it's like oh okay yeah, but I I had like a I had I was a, a fan of Firefly. I I liked the Avengers, but it definitely wasn't my high point of Joss Whedon. It was sort of when I was starting to fall fall uh, less in favor of Joss Whedon. Um, and I knew that he wrote on Runaways, but I didn't learn that until like after I had been into runaways and like i just didn't like you could at, at any time when i was reading comics between the ages of like uh 15 to 18 you could have asked me who wrote anything that i was reading and i could not have fucking told you because like i would just pick up a book and i would read it i would not like i would not look at the name of the writer or the artist or anything <laughs> uh so i have a storied joss whedon personal history yeah. <laughs> Can you top that, John Luke? 
What? No, I don't. I I tried watching Runaways three different times and thought it sucked every time. So no, wait, wait, Runaways or Firefly? Or Firefly? Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I I mean I liked Firefly back in the day, but um I don't think I could do it now. <laughs> yeah, probably not. I yeah, I don't even I didn't even dislike it for like you know, the weird, like, Asian prostitute character that I'm sure is extremely problematic now. But I just thought it was boring. <laughs> the fact that, like, apparently Chinese is so widely spoken that it's, like, integrated into, like, English slang, but there are no Chinese characters in the show. Yeah. Anyway. I don't remember that, but that's... That kind of tracks with some of the stuff in this issue, in this in these issues, huh? I sent a picture in the oh, that's in great. our group chat of an example of a fandom prayer candle with uh with Anakin Skywalker. Kind of awesome. Jean Luc's on board now. He gets it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, he I'm understands it, totally. Yeah. He's got it. Uh, are you guys into the characterization of the characters? Uh, the characterization of the characters uh, compared to Brian K. Vaughn's run? Because I mean, no. I've only read the, the eighteen no. or twenty issues. But like for those who haven't read this one and maybe read BKV, what can they expect to, uh, you know, a few surprises in there? There are so many writers who have like written Nico specifically in a way to have like you know she's like a character who has a lot of self-doubts and a lot of insecurities after Alex dies about being the sort of like de facto leader of the runaways and I think Joss Whedon is the only one who has done it in a way that comes across as being this misogynistic yeah like the the in the first couple issues she is just like Nico is just like a total mess like she's breaking down into tears, talking about, oh, I'm such a girl, like trying to make a pass at Carolina after even though Carolina's actually like already in a relationship. Like I was also just, yelling to Gwen yeah, about that too. Yeah, like it's just it's just a really unfortunate way to like take that character. And then she's just not really in this arc very much. Like half of this I mean, arc when she is kind of, I mean, she's, she's just being, not she's being tortured. She's not participating in it. Yeah. She's just like the, the second her? half of this arc, she's basically just, you, you, they cut to her being tortured. And that's the, basically the only time we see her. Joss Whedon loves to take a hot lady and torture the fuck out of her for her own empowerment. And put her in well, leather while he's doing well, it. It's a little. That's true. Yeah. The, there's see. like one there's one specific panel I'm thinking of of like uh Nico being tortured that is like extremely horny. Yeah. Yeah. And then Nico comes back as a plot device to stop the fighting. Like that's it. It's yeah, like, more powerful oh. than she was before. Because, because of course, when when women undergo trauma, especially at the hands of people who are supposed to love them, uh, because we discover that is it? She's like ancestor. Like, it's her great grandmother. Great grandmother. Yeah. I yeah, I couldn't remember if they said uh, the specific familial relation, but yeah, it's Nico's great grandmother who is torturing her. But which, by the way. It's not in the Rowell issues that we're going to read for, for the next episode, but I am so glad that Rainbow Rowell, like, basically retconned the entire shit with, like, Nico's great-grandma in, in her run of Runaways and completely recontextualizes, like, the relationship between the staff of one and the Minoru family. Because here it is the most, like, juvenile edgelord shit of, like, what yeah. if you went back into the past and, you know, you're 
ancestor was evil and like tortured you to make you more powerful because she was disappointed. Like it's so cringe. Like, and I mean, I know that that's like a, I hate to use that as like a criticism, but that's what it is. Like, it's like, I mean, it's edgelord bullshit. Like, yeah, it's R slash I'm 14 and this is deep. Like, well, what if your ancestors were evil and tortured you? Like, shut the and, fuck up. And Brian up. Cave, I mean, and uh, Joss Whedon got this gig p- partly because, you know, at the time they were Joss Whedon, still are, but at the height, at the height of his power, you could say. Um, yeah, was I mean, just he was like it. only a few years off of Buffy. Like the man was like riding high on. This is right before Avengers. Fashion. So like uh, two years before Avengers, I think 2009 was the first movie. Was it maybe 2012. Maybe. So he, so he's maybe not at the height of, maybe not the height of it, but he's pretty like up there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, yeah. he's still writing on a lot of cultural cachet. And yeah. crucially, he's also written astonishing X-Men at this point, which despite selling very poorly was like, the most critical acclaim a Marvel book got in had gotten in years. Like I'm actually like really X-Men not book. familiar with that. We'll book. read it. Don't worry. Uh, no, we haven't read it. It's really okay, not. Good. It's bad. Nice. 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 I mean, I, like I get, I can't say that the thought of maybe we should read it didn't enter my mind because I'm a fucking masochist, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> If you thought him writing Nico was bad, wait until you find out how he writes Kitty Pride. No, not Kitty Pride. I so, love uh, her. Did you guys enjoy these issues? No. I I didn't hate it, but like it's not good and there's a lot of like really not good stuff that happens and that is said. I I have to say even setting aside like the personal offense that I take it how he obliterates Nico Minoru in these issues and we'll and get to some of the other to stuff literally that... obliterate Nico Minoru in these issues yeah we'll get to some of the other stuff that he does I don't think he understands how to write comic books a lot of a lot of writers that go from doing other mediums of writing to comics have a really hard adjustment yeah, except for again, we're gonna talk about Rainbow Rowell next episode. Sure. Who just like seamlessly was like great at it, but like he has no sense of how to pace individual issues, and this could not be more obvious when you contrast it to the BKV runs, where BKV is a comic book writer first and everything else kind of second. Like what Whedon does here is like is kind of. Like, the way he structures these issues is so bonkers to me. Like, so much happens, like, in between page turns and even in between panels that you don't even, that's, like, implied to have happened, but you don't actually see it happen. And so it creates these, like, weird, this weird, like, almost, these, like, weird, almost, like, dysfunctional scenes where there's, like, something that you could probably get away with easier doing TV writing because that's a little more. Yeah. Yeah. it's just like yeah like they're like the and and the and the pacing of the issues is so weird too because like it's clearly he's trying to do like the build to the cliffhanger moments but these issues drag so much like they're so like they like spin their wheels a lot in ways that's not typical for for superhero comics at least like i felt that way it's they're like they're just like not very well constructed in in my opinion at least like even setting everything else aside like yeah i mean he, he definitely leans into the cliffhangers but most of his cliffhangers are like telegraphed a couple pages before 
Whereas like BKV is good at like BKV is really good at that page turn cliffhanger. Like he's got he's got twenty pages, and then that one page you're like, oh wow, that's crazy. But the one with like Gert's parents here, you're like, it happens, and that's not even the cliffhanger. And then he has a cliffhanger with them, and it's like, no, this already happened. This isn't this isn't really an exciting cliffhanger. Yeah. Once once you're doing it. What's crazy is in issue twenty six, he does the fake out of Chase's death. Like, oh, they, they think Chase died. But it's not the cliffhanger. It's like on issue seven is like, oh my God, where's Chase? And then on it, like page 13, it's like, oh, Chase is back. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not a, per- like, and maybe it's supposed to be this, like, he's trying to be like, oh, I don't want to like, you know, get people with cliffhangers like that because it's cheap. But it just illustrates to me that you don't understand like the medium you're working in. If that's like the kind of shit you're trying to pull. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it, because it's like it, the stakes just aren't there between issues. You know, it's like, yeah, it, it, like that one especially stuck out to me. Um, and also because that's the moment where like Nico has like the breakdown and then like Chase shows up right as she's like starting to like completely lose her shit and like oh no actually it's fine like mm-hmm. I, I don't the know con- the context you guys mentioned earlier about the like um, Carolina being engaged uh, does <laughs> yeah it, it changes a little bit about this book about me yeah, knowing about it, like I now that I like I'm thinking about it and thinking about how you didn't read those issues and so you wouldn't have had most of that context and like I. I did technically mention uh, some of the spoilers, but that may have been when you took your headphones off and stopped listening to me. Uh, uh, yeah, just judging by like the pictures, I assumed it was like Nico and Carolina are together, and I was like, "Oh, cool, 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 that's great." And then they had the they had the interaction no, at the beginning where where Nico's coming out to Carolina, and Carolina is like, "You can never give me what they can give me," and I'm like, "What? Who?" Huh? Yeah, I I hate the way that Nico is written a lot where like it seems like it seems like the way that they want to write Nico's feelings about other people is that like she seems to only start to be interested in other people when like they express interest in her which like in it like results in her like getting into situations with people that are like really like weird and over dramatic and uh, I don't really know where I'm going with this I'm just frustrated <laughs> I'm frustrated with like the continual hints that like maybe there's something with Nico and Carolina but they literally don't get together until the Rainbow Rowl run yeah do you so so you know how we talked last week about how like you know the Nico Carolina thing wasn't really queer baiting the way BK Vaughn did BKV did it in his issues what Joss Whedon does here is absolutely queer baiting yeah. with the scene where like Nico and Carolina are hugging on the roof and like comforting each other and having a very intimate moment. Yeah. And then it immediately becomes like, no, we actually can't be together. Yeah. Which yeah. is like reasonable from Carolina's perspective because like, it's a hor- horrible time for timing from Nico. And like, I guess like, okay, like, yeah, Nico feels bad that like, that that she made the choice that she did, but like, you know, Vaughn has you, you Vaughn know. wrote the consequences of that for twenty issues. Like, we yeah. don't need to dredge it back up here in a way that is really like I like that. I think is kind of insulting, to be honest. Yeah, to just be to like hit hit the readers with like, oh, but what if they actually? What if Nico actually was gay? You guys would like that, huh? Yeah, Fuck you. like. 
It is so I'm only weird. here for six issues. Bye. It's so weird to be queer baiting with like a with a series with two prominent queer characters who are together in the cast. Like you are using another you are queer baiting with another character while you have a queer couple in the cast. What did you guys think of Zavin in these issues? I Zavin is a character that I like a lot, despite the fact that I think that her writing is uh, often extremely flawed. But um, I didn't love a lot of the way this was written. And as much as like from a lesbian perspective, I like thought it was funny every time Carolina was like, I'm not going to kiss you because you're in boy mode. Like, I also thought that that was kind of lame from a writing perspective. And also it's like, Joss Whedon, you don't get to do that. There's so many jokes in this, this fucking arc that I'm like, Joss Whedon, you don't get to do that. Yeah, it's also crazy how BKV went from writing Zavin like, oh, well, I I mean, I can be a biologically female. I can become I can be a girl like if that's what you want to make this work and like actually writes those characters is like not really like being into each other at first, but sort of like growing to accept their situation and falling in love by the end Mm -hmm. to like, no, I actually hate it when you're boy moding. Like, it's so weird. And then like. The way that Zavin talks about it is also, like, kind of fucked a lot of times. And I get that, like, yeah, it's 2007, like, people broadly weren't aware, like, weren't aware of, like, gender nonconforming and trans people. But the way that- I'm willing to accept, like, a certain amount of this up to a point. Well, yeah, yeah, there there is stuff that I'm willing to accept, except for the fact that it's Joss Whedon and- there's so much stuff in here that's like, yeah, okay, I, I get that you would write it that way because of the time that it takes place in. But then it's but then there's that scene where like Zavin uh turns back into her girl form while she's having an argument with Carolina and oh, it just becomes, that means and you're Carolina really just starts a girl. making Yeah, and, and Carolina makes that decision for Zavin kind of thing. It's like, wow, wow, agency out the window, cool. Oh, and it cool, also cool, like cool. undercuts the other. It, it it does just make you question like what Whedon is actually trying to do here. In the same way that like I, there are characters. Oh, go ahead. I I like I think I want to before you like say your whole point. I want to like focus on the fact that you like. I feel like it does undercut like the major decisions about Zavin's character made previous to this that like do like doing this like doing these things for Carolina was a choice made out of at first obligation and then like out of love and then to make it into this like I don't know try to like biologically code it is like oh yeah and all the stuff about Zavin talking about how like, oh, I need to be in my male form when we meet the kingpin because he's that'll intimidate him is like, I get what you're trying to do, but it's so like, it, 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 it it's just so misogynistic at the end of the day, right? Like, yeah, it's just and like, I you know I get that like at this time at least Whedon was trying to be like kind of like the woke guy. I know that woke didn't exist as a word that means what it does now back then. He was then, like, like the progressive guy. Like he and BKV were both like kind of progressive darlings of entertainment media at this time. And frankly, BKV did a way fucking better job of it in Runaways. Like not I mean, in other books necessarily, but his stuff in Runaways is yeah. way better than this here. Yeah. Uh than, than what just, we did. Just, just don't talk about nine eleven. 
Yeah, just you know what, BKB, yeah. just let that go. But it's the same. It's the same thing when it comes to like some of the race stuff in this book, where it's like, okay, to an extent, like there are characters who use like what I would say are era appropriate slurs when they go back to 1907. That's like okay. It's weird that you Marvel didn't want to censor those, but then BKV writes the actual Chinese character as the most like stereotypical, like offensive Chinese stereotype. And it makes you go like, oh, were you including that because it was like error appropriate or just because you really wanted to put the C slur in your book? Like, <laughs> and then the, and then the N word also, by the way, like, which is crazy. That moment just blew my mind. With, that I that was, can't like, believe it got through. I can't believe uncensored. it got through. Wait, yeah. like it's. I'll type it in. I'll, I'm gonna type what is actually said in the chat because it's not. Yeah. I, I caught that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we should. I think we should specify when you say the N word, you don't mean like hard R. Like this is a separate. Yeah, yeah. Also, in it's a it's the feminized version of the of of the N word, right? I, like I, that's of, of a of a different N word, right? But. Yeah, I mean it's complicated to get in. It's complicated to get into. But the point is that it's a slur. This one is a slur. No, no, no. They're both slurs. I just like when you said N word, I was like, did I miss something? Oh, like, no, 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 not an actual hard R yeah, N word. Yeah, like it, you ever. Well, it is. Well, anyway, you ever <laughs> watch something or read something that's like written by a white guy that has uh, either period or carry character appropriate use of slurs and feel like man you just kind of loved that didn't you like, yeah like what got what, you, what well, got your dick hard a little bit didn't it like, why did you bring them to the 1905s yeah. right was it just so you could use this slur and like be like no no it's it's, it's cool. like i there are things yeah. like i i could have accepted more, like just period uh period accurate racism but the the use of the slurs in particular i'm like you made a choice to do that well what's crazy about it to me is that like marvel ed- well it's not that crazy but like that marvel editorial just thought that they didn't need to censor these uh, words because like the guy that pretended to be a japanese yeah. you should also mention once again that the eic of marvel cb sibilski was at this point pretending to be an asian man writing comic writing it was marvel for the, it comics. was for the sales john luke it's okay yeah well, good. <laughs> well no it's not no the the but like stuff like that is just I don't know. It's just so ill-conceived and I get that it was the early 2000s, the, the like early 2000s. But the fact that there was nobody saying no to some of the stuff that's in this book is just crazy to me. Let's and I don't necessarily know yeah. that Joss Whedon was trying to do the like time travel thing just so he could be racist. I think Joss Whedon <laughs> no, is no, like I'm... the kind of guy who comes up with very rote, boring sci-fi concepts because he's a TV writer. And like when you write really long running TV shows, you have to do like, Oh, the time travel episode, you do like all the one-off you know, yeah. episodes about a certain topic. And he probably translated that to comics. And honestly, yeah, this, this he, you know, feels like a one-off time travel episode of a TV show, the way right. that it's written. Yeah. Again, going back to the Joss Whedon can't write comics for shit. Like, so Joss Whedon does pack a lot of text bubbles in the page, and I think that they're generally easy to read, but there's far too many of them anyway. And like, it comes into the thing where it's like no one talks like this, like ever. A yeah. lot of the stuff, um, and, I, and I know we've been talking about the Nico. Like, I'm such a girl. I don't know if I want to be a charge or alive. And it's like there, there's that, and there's like six other text boxes in that same okay, page the, going on. 
But the aura live thing that was so real. She was she was cooking with that. It's true, but she could have just she could have just stopped there. Uh, so what do you guys think of like or in terms of the flow said, of the though, book? She could have not said a lot of the first part and just was like, yeah, "LOL, yeah, I'm suicidal." Yeah. And John Luke would have been like, "Feed it to oh, me with a spoon." This book is good, actually. Uh, so, how do you think it flows? And then, how do you think it works with Michael Ryan's art, which? Going from Adrian Alfana, who I personally liked, but this for me is a significant step down. Um, Interesting. This is way more like this is a lot closer to Marvel like house art. style than yeah. ugly guys. I, ugly. I okay. I actually kind of disagree with that. I don't that. think I, it's I, ugly. I don't think it's remarkable very yeah. in in any way. But I don't think it's ugly. I my stance on the art is that like this is like totally unexceptional as far as like a marvel marvel comic art goes uh it's but it doesn't it's not like like i'm not an adrian alfona fan we talked about this in the in the last episode Mm -hmm. uh this doesn't detract from the book for me i I think some of the costume designs when they go back i will say this are for the time travel gimmick or that the costume designs are really strong yeah i think the costume designs are really cute actually yeah like that's kind of adorable like that aspect of the period piece i i do enjoy but i this is an art that like i it's tough it's it's tough to put this all on mike mike ryan was the artist's name right alex michael ryan yeah michael ryan yeah i i wouldn't lay this all at his feet because like i think that whedon's script was probably really bad but the this fails on some like really fundamental levels of like visual storytelling where it seems like ideas don't fully get pulled through panel to panel. Like there's it's there, it's too staccato and it's in its pacing where mm-hmm. you'll go from like one visual thing happening and then just like something totally different happening in the next panel or like things just won't match up in the ways that they normally would. And again, I don't really think that's entirely his fault. I think that's more a scripting issue, but it's like, it is really jarring to, to to from a reader's perspective I, I also have an issue i think with the inking and the coloring in it i just think it looks like a bad coloring book and i don't know it's, what what it is about it it just seems it's early it's like, digital coloring yeah yeah and i yeah. i mean i you know i i think it's kind of gross but i think it's like there's a lot of colors going on but it all seems like weirdly muted at the same time yeah um i, I think that's just early digital coloring like digital coloring now looks really good except when they to try to do it to old books that weren't originally digitally colored. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like genuinely, like, there's a lot of good digital coloring now, but I think in 2007, this was just a, a just transitional period like, in yeah. comic book art I, and the way it was done. And I, and I don't say this is like an, ex- is to say like, Oh, you know, it's justified that it doesn't look very good, but a lot of Marvel books from this era look like this. And you can, you if can you go e- back to and reread them, but you can explain something without, uh, yeah. excusing it. That's yeah, why you should right. never read Marvel books from this era. That's my official stance. <laughs> read Marvel I mean, now. That's it. It's not the that's not the craziest stance to have. There are good. I mean, I you should read. It's funny because there's an interview <laughs> with BKV or not BKV. Um, uh, Ed Brubaker about his Captain America run in the backs of one of these issues, and I was like, God damn, I really wish I was reading that right now instead. <laughs> um. But yeah, I, I yeah, I, the art's like totally unexceptional to me. It's not like outright ugly most of the time, but it's not really. It's not. I wouldn't say it's necess- It's even like additive, really, for the most part. Mm-hmm. The faces are very ugly. Um, but enough about that. Art is a personal preference. 
But you know, it's yeah. not a personal preference, and that's trivia. Because we're at a trivia break. Whoa! Uh, this fun fact, what Marvel Comics event did Joss Whedon come up with the ending for? The answer may shock you. Uh, Jean-Luc and Emily, please give me answers and then maybe say why if you want. And then I'll, I will reveal the the Marvel event that Joss Whedon wrote only the ending for. He did not pen the book, but he did come up with the ending at a Marvel summit. Um, I don't know the answer to this. I'm just going to say Civil War. <laughs> I was going to say Civil War, yeah, because that's the only time they let Joss Whedon into the, in the door. So now if you scroll down on the page and you highlight the page that looks blank, you'll have the answer. Uh, what page? That page. Oh, I see. Now we're colorizing oh, yeah, it, it. It is. It's Civil War? Yep. Ha-ha! So my pitch was that Cap outsmarts the armor, gets it off Tony, is beating the star, 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 star out of Tony, and then realizes, wait, what am I doing? This is exactly what he was talking about. He's a man with no powers. I'm a physically enhanced person, and I'm essentially taking this out on a man who is now basically a civilian. And that All right, was it. you know what, guys? Mark Millar, redeemed. Yep. Uh, actually, a based and epic writer. <laughs> Unfortunately, Marvel editorial forced soy boy Joss Whedon, not Whedon's ideas onto based and chad-pilled Mark Millar for Civil War. So that is my uh, new official stance on Mark Millar. Do you even uh, do, 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 do you know the original you, ending? I do. Uh, I want to know it more I than actually anything. do because Before I'm you sure say he's based. <laughs> I, I mean, he still might be. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but the original you ending, that one Swamp Thing issue he wrote, that was fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Set fire to that swamp. That's what I'm saying. Uh, but the actual ending, as Cap and Iron Man square off. A lady was going to say, stop, don't fight. And then they were going to stop fighting. And um, Whedon said, I don't like the idea of a woman stopping the fight. That was his quote. <laughs> maybe in context, maybe not. But it's all in this IGN interview that I read. Um, I hate that, like, in a way, he's right. I also hate the idea of just a random woman stopping the fight. But, uh, God. <laughs> They kind of worked that in there, though, with the firefighter and the cop tackling <laughs> yeah, you know, America, like, so. I thought about it for literally, like, another second. Yeah. That doesn't surprise yeah. me. Joss Whedon's dog shit and everything he touches. I also have to say, like, even on the, like, sorry, because because you were on the time travel thing before yeah. you went on this tangent, what... This has to be, like, the most unimaginative use of time travel in comics. Like, oh, what if we went back to 1907 New York, and it was just, like, modern Marvel Universe New York. with was superheroes more that are, Yeah, but with, with superheroes that are obvious analogs for modern-day superheroes, and a guy who is just the kingpin, but he's called the Man-Eater now. And uh, they have their own Civil the War. We have a Punisher, but he's the Adjudicator. We have a guy who's just Iron Man. Like, if you're gonna do a time travel thing like jesus christ have some a modicum of originality once again like this is a thing that like if it were in some sort of tv show might have worked like having these even having like these analog characters that are like wrote boring just recreations of modern Marvel characters. Like you could have gotten away with that kind of in TV writing because like it comes off more as homage, but because like you're going from the medium of comic book to TV show. Mm -hmm. Whereas like just having these characters in the comic book feels so goddamn lazy. It's like, I couldn't think of another 
dynamic for these characters to have to deal with so i recreated the one that they have to deal with in the modern world in like what might be an attempt at like you know the more things change the more they say stay the same type of like commentary but i don't think so because i don't think joss whedon's that smart no and And it upsets me even sorry go ahead alex and I was just going to say, like, the, the Flash TV show did that, where it's like, hey, there's a different Earth with people who are, it's the same characters, but they're slightly different. And it's like, it worked for that show for, like, five seasons, because they just kept on doing that. But, yeah. Yeah. And it upsets me even more, because the, conceptually, what's set up in the first two issues of this arc, like, that the Runaways are going to try to, like, take up the mantle of their parents because they were so disillusioned by what happened during Civil War. And now that they're going to, like, you know, start sacrificing young women to some kind of evil gods. But, like, that they were, like, you know, maybe the superhero thing isn't all it's cracked up to be because, like, look what these guys just spent the last year doing. Mm -hmm. Is, like, interesting fallout from Civil War... And Joss Whedon just comes in and like bludgeons that with a hammer. Like, what? Okay, nothing let's, with let, it. Yeah, let's not do. Let's not do that. Actually, let's do this other totally unrelated thing. Um, which, to be fair, is very. Uh, it's very fitting, given you know the fallout of civil. The rest of the fallout of civil war. It's just disappointing to have like sort of like the inkling of what could be an interesting story. Not that I think that Whedon would have written it in a way that was actually good, but like the inkling of an interesting story and then just totally go in a different direction with it. It's just really, it's just a real bummer. Like in the way, like a lot of stuff in this arc is just a huge bummer. I also think that there are too many goddamn characters in this arc. Totally. Like, I know that that's like... I know that, like, Runaways is, like, sort of built on, like, their contrast with, like, the other characters that they're having to deal with around them. But, like, Joss Whedon, why did you make so many OCs for this? Like, you well, you did not have to make so many characters for this. It's also wild because, like, you know, I like, I do think the reason that some of the characters get sidelined, like, the way Nico gets sidelined, like, I think there it is, like, somewhat malicious, but not entirely because, like, you have... So you he introduces like two new love interests. He does in, in this series in in these issues, and they have to like address it in these issues because they're not going to see these characters again. So you know he writes Nico out, and then he writes Chase out for two issues in, in a you know albeit it's a different in a I'm totally a big fan different of the way, Runaways. But... That's why I wrote out the Runaways from my Runaways comic and focused <laughs> yeah. on my uh, my original characters that I made. Fun fact: yeah. when, when asked in the IGN interview what was his favorite Runaways character, he couldn't name any, which makes me think he hates them all. And this was this was this was spite. This was spite. Jesus Christ! That's, in there. That is uh, giving him a little more agency than I'm even willing to attribute. That's true. Honestly, like I don't think fan. he's. I don't think he's. I think he's just stupid. I don't think he. That's what I was gonna say, John Luke. I don't think he's smart enough to hate these characters the yeah. way that like we would like to project onto him because like honestly that's a little more satisfying because it sucks that he's kind of just an idiot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just speak it on the romance. What, what we we touched on a little of it. There's a lot of it. Uh, what are your thoughts? Favorite pairings? Maybe, yeah, I love maybe, the, yeah. I love the part of this book where it's like before this point, Nico and Victor are dating, and then Nico's just like, oh, I he fell in love with somebody else. It was love at first sight, so I just made them date each other. Like, what? Like that is. 
it goes it's it's supposed to be presented as this like oh i push people away when they get too close but it is the most like female manipulator shit like you know how we talked about the shit that sue sue uh sue storm does in civil war to reed richards like yeah. this is like that but without any of the irony that i think is was there no book, name or sex know? like yeah like this is just cr- it's just like a crazy thing to say like I manipulated my boyfriend into dating another girl uh, because, you know, it was love at first sight. And I, because you know, the, I thought the, that, the that was genius. the best thing for him. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah, Nico gets <laughs> bludgeoned like, so many times in this Yeah, part, the like. character assassination of Nico in this these six issues is uh, definitely among uh, Joss Whedon's well, most intense crimes. It's also wild that, like, to write Victor that way, like, oh yeah, that I'm not really concerned about my, you know, girlfriend. Yeah, like I anymore. liked. I re- I was like, I remember kind of liking. I didn't love like Victor and Nico together, but like I was like, I remember liking Victor as a yeah. character, and like this, this book does fucking nothing for him. All he does is make goo goo eyes at this character, at this beautiful redheaded woman that Joss Whedon has invented for him to be in <laughs> love with. Who also already who also already has a love interest, and she has a quirky power where she dances on music. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So quirky. It's pretty cool. Um, I so the the yellow kid is apparently an homage to a character yeah, called the yellow kid. I okay. So something that happened in in the this recording is um before the episode i sent a screenshot of the of a panel from the comic where they introduce a character who is part of like the 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 1907 the, it, it, runaways and it's the heir of something what do they call the street, arrows. The street, the street arrows. arrows also a bad name um but they call him uh you know the yellow kid and he's clearly like a and i would say chinese coded but asian in general coded probably specifically chinese coded character with like a sweat a yellow sweater and i was like what the fuck that's really racist john luke has enlightened me in uh over the course of this episode in our group chat there was an american comic strip character also um racist called the yellow kid uh that was that featured in uh the new york world and also new york journal and apparently this yellow kid in the comic is a reference to that i did not know that when i was reading this comic earlier so i was just like what is going on yeah, I don't think the fact that it's referencing like a racist century comic is better, but, but like no. it makes it less it makes it slightly less insane. Yeah. Yeah. I don't bit. even know why they like Because John Wayne's funny. Yeah, I yeah, that 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 was kind because of clearly, me. like you can tell that like the version in the comic is an older version of this character right. that is that you have sent to the group chat, and so like th- it would make sense for him to quote unquote exist in the time period of what is happening. But I don't like it. <gasps> We've also talked about, we, we have already talked about how a lot of the characters get shafted, but another thing that warns that's worth mentioning is that, uh, old lace is just not in this. They literally stick her in an alleyway and just go off and have a little adventure. She's yeah. on guard duty, watching the fucking 
frog robot. Joss Whedon didn't want to explain a dinosaur in this time, so he's like, it's going to sit in the alley. No one's going to look down this alley. Like, there's there's no camouflage for old lace or anything. No. It's just like, actually, unless, does old lace have camouflage powers? Is that I know, I no, don't but think the, so. No. Old lace doesn't have powers other than being a telekinetic dinosaur. He's just that psychic dinosaur. You know what, dinosaur. that's enough. That's enough, that's fine. Yeah, okay. Psych- yeah right. psychic, right. not telekinetic. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's stupid. Uh, also, <laughs> um, there's a character named Clara who comes back with the Runaways. Oh and God, yeah. One of the moments in her character that's is 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 you learn that um, she's b- basically what being raped because she's yeah, underage, she's a child, bride, she's yeah. child, and she's like having sex. And um, what does our favorite Runaway character do? Good old Molly makes a joke about it, um, <sighs> which is like fucked up in and of itself. But then Sean Luke points out that later in the issue. Molly references it again and references okay. the actual act and not like because yeah, Molly says it's yeah. like um, we should yeah. we should be specific yes. about the joke that she makes uh, because it is implying that she doesn't understand that this girl who is her age who is married to an adult man is being sexually assaulted as part of her and yeah. I quote the comic itself marital duties which she yeah. specifically says she does not enjoy and then uh yeah the reaction because by... rape is funny yeah and then the reaction uh, by yeah, molly that... is like oh my god he makes you do chores and yeah. it's like it's played for comedy it's the biggest whiplash i've experienced in a comic i Maybe ever. I, I, and it's then, like, and then later there is a conversation that Molly is having with Clara where she references this again, but like where it is clearly implying that she does actually understand what's happening because like Clara, like sees Zavin in girl mode, kiss Carolina and like flips out because like it's a sin or whatever. And Molly is like, Oh, and like an uh, old man doing stuff to you is okay. And so like, she clearly understands what is going on there. Despite the fact that in the previous uh, reference panel, she thinks that the marital duties are chores. It happens off screen. I guess. Except there's no opportunity for it to happen off screen. Like even, even with the most generous reading, you you can't actually read it that way. My most generous reading was Molly. Like instead of saying like, Oh, it like, and so it's okay that this guy assaults you. Instead, I was thinking maybe she was saying like, so it's okay that he beats you because that's a thing that Molly could literally see. But even yeah. then, it's still just in context, like because they are talking about sin and sin is clearly associated with like sexual acts. Like, there is no other it's also- actual implication you can get from this interaction than Molly does understand that this older man is raping this young girl. It's also a really weird character break for Molly because even though she is younger than the other runaways, like she's never written as being that naive aside from like right at the beginning. Now Sweden doesn't but, know like, how to write children. Yeah. Like it is. That's yeah. That's the point I was going to make is that it's the most like 30 or 40 year old guy trying to write a 14 year old girl. Right. Mm-hmm. I, Cause she is, she's like, it's not even like she's a kid anymore. She at this all, point, yeah, right? Like, she's supposed no. to be older at this point, but she acts the way that she did in like the first issues of runaways. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, and then Which is Carolina's like 
facial expression in the background. Like the panel where it, it seems like it's she awful. understands it is like, oh God. And then Molly makes the joke and she like smiles. She's like, oh, Molly. Yeah, yeah she just really gives like, a little uh, smirk. Yeah. And the whole like, um, the whole thing where that other the other girl is like disgusted by Carolina and Zavin being gay is like, again, it's like, okay, period appropriate attitude, but then totally dropped afterwards yeah it's like right it it becomes too inconvenient for the plot to uh keep yeah. going so like it's totally just dropped because because it's like okay yeah like that that happens but whedon is like oh we can't like use that as an excuse to like not help save the you know literal child who is in a being forced to work in a marriage with an older man uh just because she was homophobic in 1907 so it's it's just like they just have to like let that go and like give it like write it off with one line in the last issue of the run of like oh you just have to stop being weird about gay people yeah it like um, I, god i've been thinking about that stupid this, conversation the whole time where yeah like, again molly's just like you gotta chill out about gay people okay <laughs> Much like other stuff, this is something that gets salvaged later by way more talented writers than Joss Whedon. Um, like, this actually does, like, from what I remember, that like, they do actually, like, this actually is, like, a sticking point with I, this character. I do remember, I remember some of the writing on Clara getting better after Joss Whedon yeah. was fucking gone. But it is crazy just how much of this, like, it's wild, like, how much is packed into these six issues that other writers explicitly have to undo later on in these characters, yeah. in, in these characters' futures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it sounds like, like they spend wild. the next ten years undoing the six-issue arc. <laughs> like, you, you wanted impact, Joss Whedon, you, you, you got it, that's that's cool. Um, we, we, we did touch on this earlier, but... Does this arc really do anything to like change the runaways or move them no. forward? I mean, it's it just seems like it's kind of there. I mean, you get new characters, some of the romance stuff kind of does change, but like there's like elements of it that are important later, but they're kind of only important by accident and by convenience to the story. They're like, only we'll talk important about this and... because someone else already wrote them, so they have to be like included in development later. Right. And we'll also talk about this with the Rowell stuff, but there's a whole bit where, like, Chase time travels again to try and save Gert, and mm -hmm. it's because he has the thing from, like, the time travel thing mm -hmm. from this arc that he's able to do Which, that. actually, I got that kind of mixed up and thought that that was what was supposed, that was going to happen, just because I got, like, oh, yeah. memory wires crossed, and I remembered, like, oh, Chase time traveling, then he tried, yeah. he does this, but it was not this arc, thank God. Yeah, so... But yeah, like the, there is stuff that goes through, but it, it doesn't, I think you, it, the, it, you know, you're kind of right to phrase it like as a, as a leading question, Alex, because like nothing changes in the status quo in, in, in this book, in no. these issues. Yeah. And it's so wild that like, this is like meant to be like the send off and it's like, just like do nothing. Like yeah. the most yeah. nothing vapid arc you could imagine. And I mean, yeah, like I, I guess it, it was phrased as a leading question, but also having not read anything that comes after, I'm not sure what happens other than you guys saying that like the damage that he does or the stuff he does to these characters does have an effect so like i mean on, i guess on one hand it does 
I mean, it has an effect, yeah. but it's subtle. Like, it's not like people, it's not like writers going forward are directly referencing that this. It's just that when you read stuff, like, when you read, like, Avengers Arena, it's very obvious that, like, Dennis Hopeless is trying to fix the, like, Nico trauma stuff that happens in this, in this arc. And then when you read Raoul do, like, you know, have, like, a, a whole arc about, like, Nico tr- speaking with her, like, the ghosts of her, her descent, like, of her ancestors about the staff of one and having this big reconciliation about the staff. Like with this arc in mind, there's stuff like that, that reads like other writers trying to retcon it in the future. And even with Clara, like when you read, I think it's, I think it's uh, Catherine Im- in Catherine Imminent's run uh, where she does like a whole arc about like, where like Clara is adopted by two, like two gay men in, in, in the modern day. And there's like this whole thing where she like reconciles. Forgot her, about that. Yeah. Mm. Her, her like homophobia from being, you know, from 1907. Like it's all, it's, it's stuff that like kind of had to be done because of this arc, but people aren't directly referencing what happens here, I guess is the, sure. the point at the end of that. Um, they're not referencing it because it's influential. They're referencing it because it's something that has yeah. to continue to be part of the canon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like they nobody nobody has like the guts to just say like yeah. That didn't nobody <laughs> has the guts to completely rewrite it. So they're just yeah. like they have to kind of like subtly rewrite it through yeah. stuff yeah. that the characters do in the future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do, do you guys got any any last thoughts before we go to our final trivia and and get to the end of our show <laughs> about this this, this six issue run? Uh, action-packed. I mean, it's certainly action-packed. I think that coming into a Marvel comic book and writing fat jokes about the goddamn kingpin is maybe one of the most insane and heinous things that I have read in a book for this show. Like, just as a microcosm. I don't know know if you can see this. I wrote fat jokes, boob jokes, jokes. boob jokes, and then the word epic, because that was the first, like, ten pages of the book. It was like, She-Hulk's here. She has boobs. Yeah, they also, they keep making jokes about like, and and it's specifically Molly keeps saying like the that the kingpin ha- can pro- kingpin probably has like a gland problem, which was like a really really funny uh, mid uh, early two thousands thing to say about fat people. Because it's like, they oh, also... I'm, I'm not, I'm not fat because I have impulse control issues. It's because I have a gland problem. Was like the stereotype du jour for fat people. They all, there's also like I again like this is something that I don't know if this is like period appropriate, but they keep calling women hoes like all the time in this book, which is just it, so wild to read now because like it would have been like, like crazy mild, thing just... mildly period appropriate. I feel like it is overkill in this. Yeah. I also noticed that. uh, Yeah. Like, there's one scene where Molly calls Nico a hoe bag or something. Well, yeah. And then she, well, the really fucked up thing is that Nico at the end, like, before they're about to go back, she's like, uh, we actually can't bring the redhead because we have to make room for this other hoe or something like that. Oh, I don't. Clara, I think I was so busy trying to finish up that I didn't even notice she said that. It is so That's crazy. Insane! Like, I can't believe she fucking said that. 
yeah it's, like, i can it's, believe someone like molly using this because like she well i mean not at this age i would have believed molly in the beginning of runaways using language like that because like she had overheard it and she's a child with poor impulse control but like nico would not just casually call people ho like yeah it's <laughs> character assassination there's a reason I, I, do... I, I titled the recording for this episode the bastard joss whedon <laughs> <laughs> I will say there is one moment where Whedon was cooking a little bit with, and it's the Punisher scene at the beginning of issue 26, which by the way, it's really funny how the Punisher thing just gets dropped. Like, dude, I, I get that like the runaways are really powerful and all that, but like if the Punisher is after them, like you can't just drop that. Like it didn't happen. It, that's a, that's crazy but there's the the bit where when molly just sucker punches him um in, in issue 26 and like knocks him out and there's a text box because this is like all the punisher internal monologue is written like punisher's war journal and then like what he's saying and it's just like an onomatopoeia of him going, <gasps> like he got hit in this <laughs> in the stomach and the the pa- the panel is drawn like sort of half completed like it's not fully inked or colored mm-hmm. and i thought that that moment is like a perfect encapsulation of like how you can use the medium and like you couldn't really do something like that in another medium outside of comics and it is a great moment i've definitely like, right, felt maybe- that way before when i like hit my funny bone yeah <laughs> right yeah and it's like okay maybe this is like a this is like a good moment. Maybe they should have kept going and then yeah. everything else happens. Well, that's I, also, I thought it was really re- an art moment, not even a like. Do you think Jaws yeah. came up with that? I, I, no. I think he might have. I, I think he might have. He I think he might have. Could have. I'm ever. choosing not to. I also think it's. He didn't do that anywhere else, you know? Like, it's also really funny how the Punisher is drawn exactly like Billy Butcher is drawn in the boys' comics, which I'm sure is at least somewhat intentional in this because this is like when the boys comics were were concurrent and and popular mm-hmm. but it is great it's wild just like yeah. how much he looks like billy butcher <laughs> in, in i gotta say comics. one nice thing it's it's that scene where the where like the the two inch guy gets his head blown off and it just oh like, that's awesome yeah. it explodes it i'm like wow cool moment yeah um, like the the bullet is the size of his head so it just it feels like it yeah. would have done more damage uh proportionally but probably yeah probably it was uh yeah emily do you have something nice to say about this this issue before we hit trivia time and end um, our time there's no need to. to say anything you know you like you really don't have no. to oh, no I trivia don't. time ding, 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 ding. can you guess joss whedon's favorite moment from the vaughn and alfana runways runaways run and i will say i'll give you a hint it's in the issues i read so it's one to 18 it's in that first that first stint it's it's got to be the it's got to be something with topher i it, it it absolutely has to be something with topher oh fuck um no i like i cannot at all i will say he loves memory. love joss whedon loves love um No, I like I can't. I'm I'm probably gonna be pretty disappointed by this, but so Jean Luc, y- your your answer was Topher, our favorite. Is Topher the vampire? Yes. Topher's the vampire, the vampire boy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it does include a boy, but that boy okay. is Chase, uh, and it's the moment where Chase appears to be dead, 
and Gert starts to give it mouth to mouth. Yeah. And they start making out. And the, the reason it's his favorite is two reasons. He never saw Gert and chase a couple in a million years. Never. He's hot. Yeah, nobody, nobody's ever paired together a hot jock and, like, a loudmouth nerd. That's okay, never wait. happened. Did, did he not read the issues? We talked about this in, in the BKV episode. That, like, Gert. everything Gert. like that is so telegraphed. BKV mm-hmm. telegraphs the shit out of that. I never saw Gerd and Chase the couple in a million years, and I thought that was awesome. And secondly, because Molly, when she sees them, yells out, bonus life. It was at that moment I realized not only how much I love the comic, but also how much younger than I am Brian is, because I would never have thought of that line. Wait, BKV is like significantly younger than Whedon? I thought yeah. they, I, in my head, I, they were like the same age. That, hold, hold on. That Wait, no, this, this is a confusing a sentence, but also how much younger than I am Brian yeah, I, is. Yes, that, yes, that, yes. Yeah. Let's see these ages. Emily? I, I'm pulling it up. I'm pulling it up. Okay, okay. Let's see. Brian uh, Paymon, age 46. Joss Whedon. Okay. Um, He's not older than that. Joss 58. Whedon, age 58. So, no, Joss Whedon's older. Yeah. Yeah, which is what he's saying. I actually yeah, didn't realize yeah, yeah, yeah. BKV okay. was that. I didn't. Re- I thought BKV was older than that for sure. But that does explain a lot because, like, BKV would have been in his like early to mid twenties when he was writing Runaways, and Whedon would have been almost like pushing forty. That also explains so much of the tone. A lot of this. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, I I, 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 I thought that. Joss Whedon was younger than that, and that BKV was older than that. So I yeah, it, it, that does explain a lot. That does put a lot in context. I was I was thinking that as well. So that also puts Ex Machina into way better context too. To be honest, yeah, that, that I feel BKV like it, was like twenty five when he wrote that. I feel like if he, like that's okay. If, if yeah, I had written true. a comic book uh, four years, five years ago, uh, it would not have aged well in those five years. Yeah. Even. Yeah. I mean, like, I was talking to Jean-Luc about this yesterday, but my We the Nerdy page, which you get if you search my name eventually, it's like, <laughs> loves loves the musical Hamilton and, like, other stuff. And I'm like, oh, God, I can't even change that. that that's like, like, the plugin's <laughs> gone. Like, for the rest of my life, people are going to be like, oh, you like the musical Hamilton? And I'm like, I did. I really, but no. Yeah. Yeah. Time is wild. Sorry that happened to you, Alex. It's okay. That was the worst part of We the Nerdy for me, so I got off pretty, pretty good. <laughs> But yeah, um, these issues uh, were rougher than I remembered, and I remembered it being a like low point or lower point in like the quality of Runaways writing. So yeah, yeah, they were definitely worse than I remembered too. To be honest, even though I like, I I wasn't expecting them to be this bad. I can't even pretend like asking Joss Whedon to write like six issues of Runaways doesn't make the most sense in the world as far as like everything going on at that time and like yeah who who and where all of these people were in terms of like pop culture notoriety. Uh, It seems like a total coup from a marketing perspective, except for the fact that it's issues twenty five to. 30 in the second volume of an ongoing series mm-hmm. that nobody knows where you can buy, knew where you could buy it. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you would think like, that's why the, that like, it never has made sense to me to like bring over like celebrity writers for comics because 
the American comic system is so broken that that's not yeah. actually going to bring people into reading. Yeah, it's not really. People like it's not that much of a draw because it's so difficult to get comic books. You can do a yeah. new series and you can put it out in trade format. Even like that's probably your best, you know, way to get it. So they can at yeah. least like sell the whole collection of that, or like I don't know. Yeah, yeah, like from what I understand, like Ta-Nehisi Coates' Black Panther sold really well in the bookstore market, mm-hmm. but bombed in the singles market, right? But like, yeah. you know, like if... I don't understand you know, how anything doesn't bomb in the singles market, but that's just me. Well, everything does. It's just that like they've redefined what a bomb is. <laughs> and, and also like it helps, like the reality is, is that like single issue comics sell terribly, but they keep them alive as an IP farm for movies and TV shows mm-hmm. because the people yeah. writing those movies and TV shows have less original ideas than the people writing the comics. And it's kind of telling why they don't like the, they do the thing. I mean, it's it, partially because diamond no longer has everyone's comic orders, which is, you know, good, I think, honestly. So it's not all controlled by one person, but it's also, yeah, like, except- you, see, you, you saw the diamond sales, you used to be able to know, when a comic book sold well and yeah. you know when yeah, the, a comic the book problem sold was bad. is that like diamond fucked everything up but now like taking things out of their hands has not made no oh, it's worse better. The, the company that dc went to also fucks up getting orders to shops on time consistently so it's like what yeah. was the point of getting yeah. rid of diamond uh, well the point of getting rid of diamond was that diamond actually was like no we're not gonna like put books out during a pandemic and dc was like no we're doing that uh, we're making people go to comic book stores during a pandemic, and Diamond didn't want to let them do that. I didn't so actually know that. Else. Yeah, that's yep. that, like DC was like, we have to put books out because we have to like have revenue because their margins are so slim. Yeah, so they went to somebody other than Diamond. <laughs> yep, it, you hear that sound? Yeah, it's all fucked. Like, there's it's a reason the American of, comics are going to be dead within of the comics industry dying. It's the doomsday yeah. clock. Just kidding. Comics are fine, guys. Comics are fine. Do you think guys? Comics. Do you guys think it's kind of crazy that we that this episode and the last episode are basically the same length? Despite that no, we, the, we went half an hour. We went half an hour longer on the last one. Oh yeah, that's right. It, it was two hours, not an hour and a half. But if you look at yeah. the issues per time talk, <laughs> though, that's what I meant. Is, like this is value. In, that's true. In terms of like how few issues there are, and we are almost the length of last issue where we talked about like three times as many comics. Yeah. If you're doing a yeah. book club, if you're doing a book club with some of your friends, do not read Brian K. Vaughn's run. Don't do it. Read these six issues. It'll be cheaper, maybe. <laughs> um and it'll fill See, up the hour i don't know well you can get them on comiXology but like i don't it's even cool, know yeah. if the, if you can get like a trade of these like, i don't think I, there's anybody who's saying like we should print joss whedon's thing <laughs> just judging by his like fall from grace in the last yeah. few years oh, that's and also like true, yeah. how horseshit this book kind of is yeah no i think um, if, if they're making anything runaways anymore like aside from like you know like the the rowel run which was newer uh they're probably like for for the early 2000s runaway stuff the only thing they're probably printing is those omnibuses like with yeah. with not even like an adrian Alfona cover but with like the key art from the tv show yeah. <laughs> oh is that i haven't yeah. actually looked at the omnibus I, I don't know. I assume there's some that actually have comic art, but that's like a. I just say yeah. that because that's like a trend. Like all the sweet that's tooth books have. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Jean Luc hates cute Which Gus. Part? I love cute Gus. Uh, it's I so love wrong. Are we, we going to do. Um, are we going to try to do a runaway? Oh. Or not runaway? Are we going to try to do a sweet tooth episode? Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get we'll chat on that because, yeah. you know, Jeff Lemire enjoys. She'd make chat with sweet tooth. Yeah. Wait a minute. 
that earlier that wasn't the doomsday clock no that's the doomsday <laughs> oh my gosh that's, you were mistaking the doomsday clock for uh, you what you were actually hearing was the death knell of the comic industry that's what it was the death knell of the comics industry oh okay that makes but a lot this more is the doomsday sense. clock so which similar. is yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. You know, I don't host often, so like everything. You, know, you could say that like Jeff Johns' Doomsday Clock was kind of a metaphor for the death of American comics. You, or we I could mean, say it's a great series that. that we'll talk about. We could talk about it. It's, it's prestige. But the point is, that's a sound that signifies a new segment called the Cry Space. And for those people who are at home and have Joss Whedon levels of intellect, that's correct. We're going to tell you something that made us cry this week in the space we're currently in. Um, oh. So, and I will come to one of you first, and I'll say your name, and you'll be like, oh, gosh, do I have a cry space? I don't know. But Jean-Luc, because I went to Emily first in the beginning of this episode. Do you have a cry space? Yeah, I cried from laughter because last night I checked out the hit new CW television show, Gotham Nights. I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't say the hit new cw television show uh for those of you who don't know this is the the show that is like the, the concept is oh batman is, was killed and now some people need to solve his murder not really people you would know because instead of um you know tim drake dick grayson damian wayne jason todd uh they made up this new guy uh called tobias or some shit like that who bruce wayne adopted uh, who's not even Robin. Um, and uh, Carrie Kelly's there, at least. So there's like one character. And Stephanie Brown, but, you know. Uh, and, you know, all these like younger characters come together to, uh, you know, solve the murder of Bruce Wayne. And it's extremely funny in the way only a CW show written by presumably 50-year-olds could be funny. Uh, and I, there are a couple scenes, like I sent a, there, there's one video scene that I thought was so funny. I sent it to the group chat last night, but rest assured that is not the only scene that got me close to tears in laughter because of the, the dialogue and the horrendous level of acting. Um, so I, in conclusion, by the time this is released, there's probably about eight episodes. I highly recommend it. Go check it out watch it if you want to get a kick out of something it's it's very funny i I, i'm just in my brain is like they released the gotham knights game and they were like we have to green like this show and have it come out i was wondering why this sounded familiar and it's because they made the goddamn video game and i think at some point they actually canceled the show like the show was in production and they stopped producing it and then started producing it again. And we're like, we just have to put it out. Uh, it, it seems like this has a very like troubled, like development history from, from my understanding, but That's cool. I'm glad that episode, if no other episodes come out, I'm glad the line, I've got another dead name for you. Bruce Wayne uh, was committed to television because <laughs> That's made me wow. Laugh. That's wow. The only Tobias I found is Tobias Whale in the DC. Yeah, universe. it's it's not actually Tobias, but he he has a really stupid name. Uh, that's good. That, 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 not that Tobias is a stupid name, actually. Tobias oh Turner. That's his name, Turner, which doesn't even sound like a real first name. Turner Hayes is the name of the character. I had to look it up. Oh well, no. The closest thing we have is Benjamin Ben Turner, better known as the Bronze Tiger. Yeah, um, I also have to say I think that uh, this show is extremely like guys who were stunt doubles in Riverdale because everybody, 
looks like a slightly less attractive version of a Riverdale actor or actress. Hey, you know what? Good on them for trying. Yeah. And I also watched an episode of Riverdale last night, so I'm going to be caught up for season seven. Please do. Caught up for season. By the time this episode's out, we there'll be so much Riverdale out, and you need to watch it. It's the final season. Um, I have a friend. I'll be watching. Yeah. It it started off. We were watching with some friends, and then uh, when my friend's sister decided to watch. Anyway, the point is, we're slowly getting people to Riverdale. A friend of mine is watching the show at two times speed to catch up before the premiere in like 15 days. That's so funny. Um, That's awesome. So. It's great stuff. I, I found stuff. out I was also way closer to being caught up than I thought. I'm only about 10 episodes behind. I thought I was like a oh, whole nice, season nice, behind, nice, but nice. I found out we actually watched like half of season six. So hmm. yeah. My, uh, my cry space is that I, uh, had to stop playing disco Elysium to read the comics for this episode today. <laughs> That's so sad. I actually, I finished Disco Elysium and I've already started a new save file that I'm like two thirds of the way done with. This happens to everyone I know who plays Disco Elysium. They play it like six times. Because (laughs) it's a game with so many dialogue options and so many like splintering paths based on those dialogue options that like it has such intense replayability and also i just wanted to like do some stuff and finish some stuff that i didn't do in my first run because i wasn't as familiar with like the mechanics and and whatnot Mm. uh so i'm sort of doing just like a 2.0 version of my first run uh i'm not actually doing any uh any crazy departures from from the events of my first run uh but Nice. Yeah, I had to, to consciously put down Disco Elysium, take my nap for today, because my cry space could have been all the bullshit with the airport and Gwen's flight getting delayed like four hours. But no, it's because I got home and I was playing Disco Elysium and then I had to stop so I could take a nap and then read these comics. And they were worth it. I have one question about Runaways before we go. Yeah. Did, Alex hasn't done his Christmas yet. No, I know, but it's really important. Did oh. Scott did Scotty run did did Scotty Young write some runaways or do art for some runaways? There's, he probably did a variant cover. There, there I don't think a, he ever wrote it though. There's a variant cover that I'm seeing for the Rainbow Rowl run, but like there yeah. was in the omnibus, like he is like in the the author section he is technically also like cred- huh. credited so maybe he also I, did a it's just would, a cover it looks okay. like i would guess it's because there's a cover gallery in the omnibus of oh, like probably. all the variants i was just like did i miss so they this? credit yeah no i don't he i'm pretty sure he never actually wrote okay, okay. or like did interiors okay the co- his cover is really good though i really oh, like yeah. his i i really like the the cover for the uh for the With all of them like riding girt or riding old lace yeah. yeah extremely cute. Really yeah. cute anyway um what is your cry space alex uh you ever lose like nine thousand dollars and then gain thirteen thousand dollars <laughs> in the court never mind no i'm not gonna that's <laughs> my cry space um is um I don't know. I had to think of Joss Whedon this week, and it's a name I haven't that's thought very, of in a while. That's that's, that's real. a valid cry space, honestly. Because every time, every time I think about him, like last time was like when the Snyder Cut Bros were like Josh Whedon ruined a movie, and it was like, yeah, yeah, he did, but like 
Come on, guys. It wasn't a good movie to begin with, but he did make it worse. So yeah, yeah. Um, but but he did yeah, make it I'm, ninety minutes, which is very important to me. You know what? Yeah, anyone who saw that in theaters or not in theaters, yeah, I saw Justice League in theaters. Did you see that, you see that they're giving the Snyder Cut a theatrical release? It's like a three day theatrical run. They're teasing it right now. Is that that's what Zack Snyder was talking about? He's like, it, it, it'll yeah. all come full circle. Dark Side's journey. You know what? I was gonna make a really Thankfully, guys remind me to make a really bad joke when we're not recording. <laughs> Okay. Well, that is our cue to finish off the show. I will say, <laughs> if you are listening to this episode, you have missed the three days of the Justice League film. You're welcome. No chance to watch it now theatrically. <laughs> Wonderful times. Um, yeah, that was episode 26 of Crying in the Book Club and our second episode of Runame. We got one more fantastic Runame episode coming up. Um, some would say it's the best. Some would say it's the second best. Some have not read it. If that's you, any of those things, please come back. Check us out. It's going to be lots of fun. Um, yeah. And follow us on Twitter at Crying Book Club. Rate and review us five stars on all the podcast platforms. Jean-Luc, where can the folks find you at? At Mountain Dew Liker on Twitter and mm-hmm. at JL Botville on Letterboxd. At the time of this recording, the Oscars just finished. And, and there's been a load of content, not necessarily like reviews. There's just been a load of discourse and it's been very entertaining. Very I tweet, I post a lot during Oscar. I post a lot during the Oscars. Hopefully you won't read yeah. any of those tweets. But you can right now. Go check it out. Emily. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter at mpandanata or on Letterbox at Pandabore, Twitch Pandabore, where I am still playing the Ace Attorney games. Uh, imagine me the podcasts. Imagine me and you to know the fresh podcast market, and that looks terrible. It sure does. I was a guest on that. Looks terrible. Yeah. As was Jean Luc. As was Chad. Those, uh, those episodes yeah, no, will my be out space, eventually. My cry space is that I had to watch Velma again, and I enjoyed the first episode. <laughs> Ah, uh, horrible. Ah, it's scary. Uh, find me on Twitter at Alex Handiuk. The only stuff I tweet or retweet is I like Jean-Luc's tweets sometimes. I like Emily's <laughs> tweets sometimes. I like Chad's tweets sometimes. Yeah, other than that, I'm retweeting stuff from work. So, yeah. You know what? As the saying goes, you lose $9,000, you gain $13,000. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great night. I don't get this. I don't understand the bit. <laughs>